Welcome to the Story Paths podcast, where we explore links between story and culture. I'm Theodore Lowry, your host. I'm excited to announce that, as of March 2023, I've released my first on-demand creativity course. It's on Skillshare, nestled within a library of great creative courses, and if you're not already on there, I've got a link in the show notes where you can get a free month. My course is called Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas. In it, I guide you through finding ideas within your memories, working with them as symbols, and learning to deftly combine and recombine them into meaningful stories. There's a trailer for the course there in the show notes, along with the free link. Hope to see you in there. And so, we begin. Welcome to the Story Pass podcast. I'm Theodore Lowry, and I'm very happy to re-welcome Jesse Wild to the podcast today. So many of you may have heard a previous episode with her where I interviewed her. And if you haven't, uh, you can listen to this first, no problem, and go back and listen to it. But I do recommend listening to that. So she is teaching drama, theater. She's teaching that in England to, um, what are the ages of the students, Jessie? Um, 11 to 18. 11 to 18. And uh, yeah, for those of you who heard the previous episode, uh, she's teaching about empathy. She's, she's teaching empathy through theater and creativity and how kids can come out of their shells. And it's really quite amazing work. And I personally find it very inspiring. So uh, Jesse and I are part of a uh, storytelling forum. And sometimes we get together and uh, tell stories to each other, like around a virtual campfire. And some time ago, she told a really amazing one uh, in this virtual campfire. And so I've invited her onto the podcast to tell it again. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to you, Jesse. Okay, thank you for having me back. Um, and uh, I think I'm just going to go straight into it. This is called Jack and His Golden Snuffbox, and it is a Welsh Romany tale. Once, when the world was much younger than it is today, a very old man and a very old woman lived deep in the heart of mystical Ticanol Forest. Even back then, when the world was younger, the ancient oaks were blanketed in a duvet of thick moss and they were surrounded by multitudes of fairy hills. The old man and the old woman lived a simple life and they were very happy. But their son Jack, well, Jack was bored. Jack thought he had learned all he needed to learn from his father about chopping wood and mending furniture and thatching roofs. And he thought he had learned all that he needed to learn from his mother about cooking delicious meals, and baking bread, and collecting herbs to make tricky potions for people who were ill. Jack had also read all the books in his parents' cottage over and over again. In fact, it was these very books made Jack yearn to see the world outside to Canon, to meet different people, to have an adventure. So one day, Jack went to his mother and told her that he was leaving. He was going to seek his adventure. 
Jack's mother was very sad to see her only son go, but she knew that it was his time. Very well, she said to him, I best bake you a cake for your journey. So, my boy, would you like a small cake and my blessing, or shall I give you a large cake and my curse? Jack thought for a moment, and then he decided, as he was going to be away for quite some time, he would go for the large cake and risk his mother's curses. So his mother spent the afternoon making him the most delicious barrow brief that she had ever made, and it was huge. She gave it to her son, kissed him, and sent him on his way. And as he walked away from the cottage, she cursed him at the top of her voice for as long as she could see him. Jack went and found his father. Father, he said, I am leaving. I am seeking my adventure. Jack's father was very sad to see his only son go. but He knew it was his time. Very well, my boy, he said. But let me give you something before you leave. Jack's father got out of his pocket a tiny little golden snuffbox. It was beautiful, carved, delicate patterns. Jack had never seen it before, and his father handed it to him. Keep it safe, my boy, he said, and do not open it. Only when you are close to your death should you open the snuffbox. Jack tucked the snuff box into the inside pocket of his jacket, hugged his father, and he set off. He walked and walked through Tea Canal Forest, stopping every now and again for a little slice of his mother's delicious cake. And by afternoon, when the sun was high in the sky, Jack had left the forest behind altogether and was crossing pasture land, rivers and streams, through places he had never even dreamed of, through towns and villages. As night fell, it began to get colder. By this time, Jack had already finished all his mother's cake and he was beginning to feel a little hungry. In the distance, he saw the lights of a large house, candles flickering in the windows. He made his way cautiously towards it, being quite nervous. He crept around the back and knocked softly on the door. The servant opened the door and beckoned Jack in. Jack told the servant he was on an adventure, so the servant kindly gave him a delicious meal to eat. The gentleman that owned this house had many servants, and he also had one very beautiful daughter. She was so fair and so kind and so loving that she was named Seren after the stars. It didn't take long for the gentleman's servants to start gossiping about the handsome young adventurer in the kitchen. And it didn't take long before this gossip reached the ears of young Sarah, who was desperate to see the young man for herself. She crept down to the kitchen. She opened the door. And as she peered around, just then, Jack looked up and their eyes met. He fell deeply in love and both knew that they should be married. Sarah ran to her father in great excitement. Father, she said, I have met the man I am to marry. Isn't that wonderful? Hmm, said her father. He didn't think it was so wonderful. And he went straight down to the kitchen to meet this young man that had stolen his daughter's heart. Well, my boy, he said, it appears you are to be uh, my son-in-law. Oh, yes, please, said Jack. I couldn't quite believe what was happening to him this day. Hmm, said the father. 
If you are to be my son-in-law, I need to make sure you will be a, an asset to my family. Tell me, boy, what can you do? Oh, said Jack, I can do anything. Now, by anything, Jack meant that he could mend furniture, uh, chop wood, thatch, thatch roofs. He, he could bake a little bit. He could make some nice food. And he was quite good at gathering herbs for medicines, as his mother had taught him. And he could read, of course. But Sarah's father had a different idea of what was meant by anything. Hmm, he said. Now, I have a fine house, as you can see. Yes, Jack, very fine. I have a fine house, but it is missing something. I would like you to dig for me a great lake in front of my house. And upon that lake, I wish to see a fleet of fine ships. And the largest of those ships will have a giant cannon. The cannon will fire a cannonball through the window of my daughter, smash the leg of her bed, and wake her up at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Jack gulped. Oh, he said, mm, eight o'clock tomorrow morning, my boy. If you can achieve this, you can marry my daughter. If not, you will meet your death. Very well, said Jack. And with that, he was shown to a small bedroom at the top of the house while the rest of the house retired for the night. Jack sat on the bed in his little room, his head in his hands. What on earth am I to do, he thought. I can't possibly achieve all that, even if I had lots and lots of time. But by eight o'clock tomorrow morning, I will surely meet my death. And as he thought those words, he remembered the gift from his father. He opened up his jacket and pulled out a tiny golden snuffbox. Well, he could give it a try, he thought, and he flipped open the lid. <laughs> out of the box jumped three of the most extraordinary creatures Jack had ever seen. Three tiny little red men. They were completely naked, apart from little red pointy hats, and they had long, grizzly, bushy beards that hung down to their knees. One of them spoke. Oh, Jack you are, Jack you be. What do you need, Jack, from us three? Well, said Jack, and he told the little red men of his plight. Oh, that's no problem for us. You go to sleep, and we'll see to it all. Sleep, said Jack. How could I possibly sleep? I might face my death in the morning. Oh, no, 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 don't you worry. We'll see to it all. Now, now my friend dear, he'll help you get to sleep. Don't you worry about a thing. Just lie down, lie down. There you go. And with that, two of the little red men leapt out of Jack's window and disappeared, while the third rummaged around inside the golden snuffbox. He was looking for something. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Oh, oh. Here it is. He pulled out a strange little instrument. Now you lie down, he said. Jack lay down, and the little man began to play. It was a simple tune. Jack felt his eyes begin to grow heavy, and the little man continued to play. 
as the last note sounded, Jack fell fast asleep. Boom! Until he was woken by an almighty explosion and much shouting and, and chattering around the house. He raced out of his bedroom, up the stairs, and there into the room of Seren. Seren and her father were standing watching as a huge cannonball rolled across the floor, having just broken the leg of her bed. It was eight o'clock. The little men had done it. Jack ran to the window. Outside Seren's father's house was a magnificent lake with a fleet of ships, and the largest ship, the cannon, was still smoking. Jack could not believe it, and neither could Seren's father. Well, my boy, he said, I, I am impressed. I, I've got to say, I didn't know if you could do it, but you really can do anything. Well done. Thank you, sir, said Jack. May I now marry your daughter? Oh, well, I do just one more thing, said Seren's father. Okay said Jack, feeling a little more confident than he had the day before. I would like you to take down all the forests around my house and replace it with a beautiful garden, the like of which will make my friends green with envy. Very well, said Jack. It shall be done. That night, when everyone else had retired to bed, Jack took out his golden snuffbox opened the lid. Ho, oh, Jack you are, Jack you be. What do you need, Jack, from us three? And Jack told the little red man of his next task. Ho, oh, no problem, said the little red man. Two of them leapt out of the window, while the third laid Jack to sleep. The next morning, at eight o'clock, Jack was awoken to gasps and oohs and ahs, and he ran out of his bedroom, down the stairs, and out of the house of Seren's father. Seren and her father and all the servants were standing in amazement, admiring the beautiful garden that had replaced the forests around the house. There were plants from all over the world, colours and shapes that Jack had never even imagined existed, Beautiful fragrances wafted through the air towards them. Well, said Seren's father, you really have done it. I've got to admit, wasn't sure if you could do it, but well done, my boy. Thank you, sir, said Jack. May I now marry your daughter? Just, just one final thing, said Seren's father. Very well, said Jack. What would you like me to do? If you are to be my son-in-law, my daughter here must have somewhere exceptional to live. So I would like you to build her an exquisite castle just, just opposite my house, over the lake there. And this castle, mind, must stand on eight pillars of solid gold. No, twelve pillars of solid gold. Twelve pillars, said Jack. Okay, twelve pillars of solid gold. No problem. By eight o'clock tomorrow, mind, said her father. Otherwise, you will meet your death. That night, 
for the third time, Jack took out the snuff box and flipped the lid. Ho ho! Jack you are, Jack you be, what do you need Jack from us three again? And Jack told the little red men of the next task. Two of them leapt out of the window and the third... Laid Jack to sleep. The next morning, at eight o'clock, Jack was awoken again to voices filled with wonder. He ran downstairs, out of the house of Seren's father, and there, opposite the lake, across the lake, was an exquisite castle, standing on twelve pillars of gold, which glistened and sparkled morning sun. For a moment everyone was speechless, but Saren's father took Jack's hand and Saren's hand and put them together. Well done, my boy, he said. Now you may marry my daughter. Jack and Saren lived very happily in the castle across the lake from her father's house for some time, but one day they decided they needed to explore the exotic gardens that Jack had so miraculously built. And off they went. It was a hot day, summer's day, and Jack for once left his jacket at home in his castle. A servant, picking up the jacket, found that something fell out of the pocket and rolled across the floor. He picked it up and was amazed to see beautiful Tiny golden snuffbox with intricate carvings. Curiosity took him over and he flipped the lid. Ha 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 ha! Oh, not Jack. Oh, well, never mind. Servant you are, servant you be. What do you need, servant, from us three? And in that moment, the servant's heart was filled with jealousy and greed. I tell you what I want, he said. I want this castle, this castle and the 12 pillars of gold and, and, and all the riches within it. And I want you to take it as far away from here as possible so they will never find me. And in that moment, the castle was gone. Jack and Seren and Seren's father returned from their trip around the exotic gardens filled with dismay to find that the castle had gone, not a trace. Saren's father was furious and decided that Jack had tricked them somehow with some kind of magical illusion, and he ordered his death immediately. Saren, she fell to her knees, and she wept for her love. Saren's father could not bear to see his daughter so unhappy, so he agreed to give Jack one year and one day to find the castle and return it to its rightful place. Jack said farewell to his love, mounted his fastest horse, and off he went. He travelled through farmland, sploshed over rivers. He asked people in villages and towns if they had seen his castle. No one had seen his castle. He crossed mountain ranges. He travelled through days weeks, months, and almost to the end of the year. No castle could he find. He was just about to give in 
he would never find his castle, surely. When he arrived, the kingdom of the mice he decided to go straight to the, the castle, the king of the mice, and, and seek help there. He was just entering the gates of the kingdom of the mice when he was stopped by a sudden voice. <laughs> Who goes there? Friend or foe, said the voice. Jack looked around and he couldn't see anyone. I'm down here, said the voice. Jack looked down and sure enough at the feet of his horse was a tiny little mouse holding an enormous spear. Frankly, it was far too big for him, but he was holding it anyway. I, I said, who goes there? Friend or foe, said the little mouse. Oh, sorry, said Jack. I'm friend. I'm Jack and I'm on a quest. Please, may I speak to your king? Very well, said the little mouse. Follow me. And with that, he scampered off. Jack followed him. That evening, the king of the mice presented Jack with a lovely dinner. Jack told him all about his adventures, how he had left his parents in Tikanol and met the love of his life and how he had completed the tasks with the help of the little red men, of course, and how his castle had disappeared. Oh, oh, said the king of the mice. That, that really is most interesting. Now, uh, nothing exciting ever happens around here, so um, do you know what? I'm going to help you out tomorrow morning. So, the next morning, Jack and the little sentry mouse and the king of the mice stood at, on the steps of the castle. The king of the mice drew out of his pocket a small bell. And he rang the bell to the north. And he rang the bell to the south and to the west and to the east. And soon, along with the sound of the bell, and the scampering of hundreds, thousands, millions of mice feet, until there was a river of mice in front of the castle. And the king addressed his subjects. Now then, this is Jack, and Jack has a, has a magnificent castle on twelve golden pillars, and, and it's disappeared. Have any of you seen it? A moment, there was silence. Then, all the mice in the world said, No. Oh, Jack put his head in his hands. I will never find my castle. I'll be put to death and, and I won't live happily ever after with my love. And, oh, oh, no, stop, stop, said the king of the mice. Don't give in to despair. Why don't you go and see my brother, the king of the frogs? He'll help you out. Thank you, said Jack. I will try. And it was then that he heard a little voice again. Uh, uh, excuse me, Jack. Uh, might I go with you? It was the little sentry mouse. For, for I might be able to help you out in, in some small way. The king of the mice agreed that the little sentry mouse could go along and help Jack. And the little mouse scurried up and sat on Jack's shoulder. And together... They set off for the kingdom of the frogs. It didn't take them long to reach the kingdom of the frogs, and as they entered the gates, they were met with a small voice. Oh, who goes there? 
Brindle foam. Jack looked around and he couldn't see anyone. The little mouse said, oh, it's down there. Jack looked down and sure enough, at the foot of his horse was a small, old frog carrying a huge, rusty sword that looked like it hadn't seen much action. Oh, I said, who goes there? Friend or foe? Oh, said Jack, forgive me, friend. My name is Jack and I need to speak with your king. No way, said the frog. Follow me. And with that, the frog hopped off towards the castle with Jack and the little sentry mouse following behind. That night, Jack sat with the king of all the frogs. They had a delicious feast. Jack told the king of the frogs all about his quest and his castle that had disappeared. And the king of the frogs said, Oh, not much exciting happens around here, so um, I will help you out tomorrow. The very next morning, the king of the frogs and Jack and the little sentry frog and the little sentry mouse stood in front of the frog's castle. The king of the frogs pulled out of his pocket a strange little wooden frog. And he, uh, he ran his slimy finger along the back of the frog. And it made this sound. To the north. And to the south. And to the west. And to the east. And soon, along with the sound of the little wooden frog, came an extraordinary noise. As hundreds, thousands, millions of frogs approached the castle from all around until there was a sea of frogs there. And the king of the frogs said, Look, my subjects, uh, this is Jack, and, and, and Jack has lost his castle, and, and uh, have you seen it? For a moment there was silence. And then all the frogs in the world said, Croak. Which means no. Oh, Jack put his head in his hands again. I will never find my castle. I'm going to be put to death. What will I do? Oh, oh, don't give in to despair, said the king of the frogs. Go and see um, my brother, the king of the birds. He's bound to have seen something. All right, said Jack. One last chance. I will try. It was then they heard another voice. Oh, might I go too? It was the little sentry frog. You see, I, I might be able to help in some small way. The king of the frogs agreed that the little sentry frog could go with Jack and <laughs> hopped onto Jack's shoulder. Jack, the sentry frog and the sentry mouse set off together the kingdom of the birds. It didn't take them long to reach the castle of the king of the birds. And that night, with a fine banquet, Jack told the king of the birds his story. And the king of the birds, who hadn't had much excitement going on for a while, agreed to help him. The next morning, the king of the birds and Jack and the sentry frog and the sentry mouse stood on the castle steps and the king of the birds pulled out of his pocket a little falconer's whistle, and he blew it to the north. And he blew to the south and to the west and to the east. And within seconds, 
such a flapping and a whooshing noise was heard as hundreds, thousands, millions of birds approached from all around until there was an ocean of birds in front of the castle. And there, in the middle, sat an enormous eagle. His body was the size of the king's finest carriage and his wings were like the sails of an emperor's ship. King told his subjects all about Jack's quest and he asked them, have any of you seen this castle on 12 golden pillars? For a moment, there was silence. Then, the enormous eagle said, Hey, I just flew over it. <gasps> said Jack, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Will you take me there, please, please? Hey? said the eagle, but I'm a little peckish. Now it just so happened that the day before, the king of the birds had caught a thief and he had put the thief in his dungeon. So the thief was brought forward and presented to the enormous eagle. He picked up the thief in his talons, pulled him apart and hum, hum, swallowed him whole with a great clack of his beak. Jack, and the little frog and the little mouse crawled cautiously onto the eagle's back. The eagle spread his magnificent wings and whoosh up into the air they soared and off they went. And they crossed a glittering body of water. And there, across the water, Jack saw it, glinting in the sunlight. His castle, his castle on twelve golden pillars. I see it, I see it, said Jack, it's over there. Hey, said the eagle, he could see it too. And the eagle circled around the castle just once, for once was enough to see how heavily guarded the castle was, and he set them down a short way away. Jack sat and thought, he said to his friends, what can I do? I'll never get past all those guards. Oh, 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 said the little mouse, oh, I think I can help. With that, he leapt off the eagle's back and scurried away. The little mouse was so small and so fast, very brave, that he scuttled through the legs of the guards. They didn't even see him up into the castle, into every room until he found the golden snuff box. He hoiked it onto his back. Oh, it was quite big for him. And he ran back down out of the castle through the guards' legs. Again, they didn't see him, and straight back to Jack. Oh, here you go, said the little mouse. Oh, my friend, said Jack. Brilliant, thank you so much. And he picked up the little mouse, placed him on his shoulder, and looked at his golden snuffbox. Just then, the eagle stretched out his magnificent wings and whoosh up into the air they went and back across the body of water. But Jack was not being careful. As the eagle banked around to turn, poop, the snuff box fell out of Jack's hand and straight into the water. Plop. Oh no, said Jack, what have I done? I'll never get it now. The water's too deep, we won't find it. Oh, said the frog. Perhaps that's where I can help. Without saying anything more, dive off the eagle's back and straight into the water where the golden snuffbox had disappeared. The eagle 
circled and circled the place where the frog had dived. He could see nothing. He circled for the rest of the day and into the night and into the next morning. And suddenly, Jack saw bubbles. There, there, he said. And the frog resurfaced. <gasps> Did you get it? Did you get my golden snuff box? said Jack. No, said the frog. But what are you doing here then? said Jack. Oh, I needed some air, said the frog. <gasps> and with that, he dived back down again. The eagle circled the place where the frog had disappeared. He circled for the rest of the day, almost into nightfall when suddenly <gasps> the frog appeared again, this time holding a golden snuff box. The eagle swooped down and Jack scooped up the little frog, put him on his shoulder, thank you, my friend. And this time he carefully placed the snuff box into his pocket. Let's go home, said Jack. The eagle flew straight to the castle of the king of the birds. Jack thanked the eagle and he thanked the king of the birds. He was reunited with his horse and together with the frog and the mouse, they set off for the kingdom of the frogs. At the castle of the king of the frogs, Jack thanked the king of the frogs and he thanked the little frog for all his help. Then he set off for the kingdom of the mice. And at the castle of the king of the mice, Jack thanked the king of the mice. And he especially thanked the little sentry mouse couldn't have done it without you, he said. Jack set off. When he was finally alone, took out his golden snuff box and opened the lid. It had been a year and a day. Seren awoke and went to her window. Across the lake, there was no castle. And more importantly, no Jack. And she wept. And as the sun began to rise, Saren heard a sound. The sound began to fill the air. And as the sound continued, something began to shimmer and move across the lake. Saren rubbed her eyes and shook her head. There, peering out of nowhere, was her exquisite castle on twelve pillars of solid gold and there in the doorway was her jack. The celebration that night was the best there had ever been. Jack and Saren lived happily together for the rest of their days in their beautiful castle across the lake from her father's house. Jack never asked the little red man to do him anything further but he kept the box always open so they could live freely as they pleased. Now you might be wondering what happened to the servant who stole Jack's castle. Well, he found himself wandering the kingdom of the birds and he wandered for a year and for a day until he was spotted from high up 
by an enormous ego. And as you know, ego has a taste for thief. And so ends the story of Jack and his golden snuffbox. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I love the, how you brought the instruments in. And that, were you playing on the finger piano there? It, <laughs> how it, it, it adds this, this rhythm, this repetition to the story and the different directions out of, mm. out of repetition as well. Yeah. And it gives this kind of almost musical structure to the story of this. Mm. Yeah, these, these recurring elements, but they're changed yeah. each time, you know. Yeah. I really yeah. love hearing stories with music and song in, but um, I don't play an instrument. So um, I bought this little finger piano to, specifically for this story, and it's it's been really nice to just learn that weird little tune. I don't know where that came from. but um, it seems <laughs> It's to, uh, nice. Strange yeah, it fits the little there. men, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the bells, there's always see always something magical about bells and sending uh-huh. out um, requests and intention and, and so that felt right as well and um, it's just a really lovely story and it's kind of um, it feels quite childlike when you're telling it and, and playing with it but at the same time there's definitely more to it and I haven't quite put my finger on it I think I said to you before that um, my daughter is just about to leave home for the first time in fact hmm. a week today we'll be hmm. taking her to university and um, there's something really particular for me at the minute about young people, you know, needing to go off on their own adventure, um, mm. and make their own mistakes and, and have a wonderful time. It feels really important. Um, and I'm sure it, other people might have a different meaning come out of that story. But I think that's probably it for me. Um, plus, I just love all the animal creatures that are in that story and give me a chance to do uh, do silly voices. Yeah, <laughs> I like the voices. Like <laughs> and that twist with the big eagle, you know, you're thinking his voice is going to be like James Earl Jones doing Darth Vader or, you know, like that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not with the Darth Vader sound effects, but that deep, big yeah. voice or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That needs uh, to be kept back for a, a worm or a slug or something to provide the same Yeah, voice. that's right. That's right. Yeah. The, or the mouse, you know, might have some huge, yeah, deep voice. Yeah. But yeah, I, I remember you're telling that. me... Yeah, you remember you were telling me last time also that, um, I mean, of course, the eagle's going against type, but with the mice, kind of think, you know, they might breathe very quickly. And, mm. you know, if you see a mouse, always darting about, looking about, so kind of anxious. And to yeah. come in with a voice like that and to think mm-hmm. of the, the, the frogs, you had a sense they were a little more uh, lethargic almost, you know, than the mice. Yeah. Which is, you yeah. see frog, frogs, they're kind of, they're, they're sitting there, you know, they're really sitting yeah. in themselves on the mm. ground yeah um, and they only really start off when they absolutely have to you know otherwise yeah, they, they are right. quite chilled out and uh, yeah and I always think of mice as being quite brave as well because although they're small and they have this very fast rhythm to them you know having had cats for a long time and lived in various places I've seen mice being really brave and I've seen mice taking on my cats and and you know escaping and, and winning their freedom um, mm. because they're so brave so I like the fact that the little mouse was you know, really brave and prepared to, to go on this quest with Jack and, and help oh. him out. Um, I think the mouse, in some respects, gives Jack a little bit of bravery as well. I think there's a mm. nice connection between them, which is why yeah, I wanted Jack yeah. to really thank the mouse at the end properly. 
Yeah, the mouse, uh, the mice, and the mouse king especially gave him encouragement. Like he was about yeah. ready to give up, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And he said, "Okay, yes. this sounds like a good quest. You know, we'll take yeah. this on." Yeah. And then yeah. they, the mouse, the mice brought him into the uh, rest of the animal world and the the help that came afterward. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's so much about life, isn't it? All the hurdles you will inevitably meet, and you know, and and have to get over and actually that's that makes the end product more delicious and and more satisfying because you have had all those hurdles to cross um uh, and so that that's really important as well i think in that story because he yeah, has I was thinking um, about that go on he has not just one quest but he has you know he has several parts to his journey leaving his parents and then doing the the, the bidding of the father-in-law and then having to go on really big quest and I suppose mm-hmm. in some ways life is like that isn't it those milestones you reach almost seem to get bigger and, and more difficult um as we go yeah. through life yeah um, there's kind of all the more rewarding I, the other end yeah that's right it seems like there's three main parts of the story it seems like before mm-hmm. leaving home and then when he uh when he meets his father-in-law to be <laughs> a very mm. difficult father-in-law to have and his, his wife to be <laughs> and he, yeah. he's he's goes on he's trying to you know the little men help him to uh, mm. accomplish these impossible tasks and then he loses that box which saved his life and got him everything and then that's the third mm. part isn't it mm. and then yeah. i suppose at the end you could say the fourth part is kind of the wrap-up yeah but yeah, yeah it's kind of these yeah. linked linked adventures mm. in a way yeah and it's important i think that he the little men don't solve every problem so he almost has Mm -hmm. to lose the the snuff box in all okay he has help from the animals um but um it isn't just he goes to sleep and it's done for him which is Mm -hmm. is quite interesting it's a really interesting story you know you read these stories and and get drawn to them for whatever reason and it isn't until you tell them that things start to sort of fall into place or Mm. or make more sense about them initially it was just one that I quite liked and I liked the fact that it had loads of animals in so I could do my silly voices but uh, actually there's so much more meaning to it each mm. time I tell it uh, I think this is about the third time I've told it now and then and that suddenly it's opening up and even as I'm talking to you now I'm like oh yeah, oh, yeah that, that I hadn't thought about that you know so that's that's nice that's the beauty of it I think yeah any storytelling I'm curious where you found it. I found it in a book that um, Tom Tom Hirons, the storyteller, um, recommended to me. I'm just looking over here because it might be over there, but I think it's probably in a different room. Um, and it's called Gypsy Folk Tales, and it's a really mm. amazing collection of um, folk tales. It's quite an old book. I don't, yeah, really old book. And um, the, the gentleman that put it together. Had, collated and gathered all these stories and and I get the impression that he must have listened to a lot of them and just written them down because some of them mm. are almost written in dialect um that the okay. person telling them must have spoken in but they're really really bare bones so um mm. they're not very fleshed out at all which is another mm. reason I really like them because then you can you, the bones are already there for you and then you can go off and um yeah and flesh them out embellish them in your um, own way yes yeah and uh tom told the most incredible story called tropsin um i don't know if you heard that one and i just it absolutely 
really lit a fire with me, this story. Um, and it was the reason that I then signed up to do his, his course. Um, oh, and it was from that same book. Um, so it's, it's a brilliant book. It's really, really cool. And lots was, more stories in it. <laughs> I was really thinking about this, the oral storytelling when you were saying it. And I just, it occurred to me at one point, like, what if there were no books? What if, you know, because I, I, was, I was thinking, oh, I'd like to learn this story. And then mm-hmm. part of me thought, well, I could probably read it afterwards. Or I can look at the recording. But going back in time, that wouldn't have been an option. And everything was uh, passed on by, by speaking and by performing. Yeah. And uh, so much of what we uh, replace with other things, like books and television and so on, used to be just people. Mm. And yeah. I thought, wow, that's that's quite amazing. There's the, there's music yeah. in there. There's uh, there's learning. There's there's mm. animation. There's you know theater. It's all it's all there. Mm. And uh, I, ju- I I was thinking, yeah, it's it's. I think a lot of people are hungering for that. Um, mm. And it just stepping back a bit from these other replacements can really open up open up that ground yeah for for that more traditional mm. you know way way of of doing those things more yeah. human like a really a, a human connection it's very yeah. immediate and it's community and it's the things that people hanker for yes and and for the teller themselves that personal connection to a story because if you've heard a story mm-hmm. but not read it or, and you don't have a copy of it but you want mm. to tell it to somebody else, you're then going to have to make it your own because you're not yeah. going to learn it like a script or or be able to read it out like you might do a bedtime story for a child. So uh-huh. it becomes your story and then you pass it to someone else, it becomes their story. And, and I love that about it. So there's, there's a whole lot of, of connection going on between the, the teller and the listener as well as the, the teller and the story itself, which is it's really, um, really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, that was wonderful. Um, <laughs> I was also thinking about with stories that it is in a sense a series of obstacles, isn't it? Mm. Like yeah. uh, in in our life as, in, as individuals, like I think we tend to think about how to um, have fewer obstacles and mm. have things go a little easier, you know, or you know, trying to uh, attain desirable things or relationships and then keep those things, you know? Whereas in a story, it's almost the opposite way of thinking. It's like, what can we put the character through? And now that now that we know this box is important to him and these little men are important to him, it's like you say, they've got to be taken away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, the stories. Like, what what could you put the person through, you know? Yes. How are they going to deal with it? And who's yeah, going to help yeah. them? How will they come out the other end? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Well, that was wonderful. Is there anything else you wanted to add on the story? Or I don't think so. Just thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to to tell it again. You know, it's really uh, yeah. Thank you for coming. Been on. enjoying this journey so much, and um, you know, it's really it's quite scary doing it, but it's really it's a lovely feeling afterwards. You feel quite brave and I feel like each time I tell a story I've been on a quest and um, uh, that's really lovely 
Well, I feel inspired. I was I was telling my wife, and I think uh, our, our friend Ethan felt that way as well when you told it in our in our little circle. Um, yeah. That it's like, oh, I I could maybe do some like I could like rise to tell a story like that because mm. the mm. stories I've told have uh, generally been a little uh, more subdued, you know, mm. um, not so performative, and mm. and the you know, the way you're telling it with the voices and the instruments and the pauses and the exclamations. And, oh, that's so interesting. It's so dynamic. And mm. I was thinking, oh, you know, I, I could, maybe I could also do that in my mm. own way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think that's really key, isn't it? It's got to be your way. I don't, I don't yeah. tend to do subdued very much, um, <laughs> as you might have gathered. Um, <laughs> that's just the way I tend to talk and, and, and teach as well. You know, I think teaching is always a bit of a so sure people yeah people don't teach drama they you're standing in front of an audience you got to get people's attention receiving something yeah yeah mm. so um but yes it's it's, a, it's finding your way isn't it? it's finding what works with you and um and to find that authentic voice that you know i know we've spoken about in in our story circle and tom's talked about as well you know it's really important that it is authentic so the audience trusts you i suppose and yeah uh, wants to listen and that is really part of the part of the um what's so interesting about it is you're learning about yourself and the telling mm. it's like you're it's like you're making a whole theater it's just just yeah. you isn't it yeah so it's, yeah. it's such yeah. a learning experience yeah 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 well wonderful jesse thank you so much for um, joining us thank you and, it's uh, lovely to see you again yeah and i i know you've got an instagram account if people want to follow you i'll, I'll put the link yeah. it's uh Wild Witch, is that what it is? Wild, Wild Witch, Witch Stories? Stories, yes. Wild Witch yes. Stories on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So I'll put it's kind of, I've tried well. to keep it just to stories, but occasionally my kids and cats do pop in. But I, <laughs> I am trying to keep that to a minimum. Wales, West Wales always makes an appearance, but uh, you know, uh, you'll forgive me for that. But um, yeah, I, so it's, it's a bit of a mixture. Some, some of my stuff, but mainly story stuff. Uh-huh. As and when. Yeah, yeah wonderful. All right. Well, uh, until next time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Story Paths, where we finger threads weaving story with culture. Before we go, I'd like to remind you of my new course, Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas, that is now available on Skillshare. If you're looking for a playful, creative space, this may just be for you. You can find the trailer and a link for a free month of Skillshare in the show notes. And as we part, I send my best wishes for you and yours. In the words of the Irish poet John O'Donoghue, may you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, and behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. And so we close.